I can't handle French. I can't even begin to handle Iroquois or something. Hello. Welcome to Elevating the Genre, episode 29. We are your co-hosts. I'm Christopher Morrison, and that lovely gentleman is... Dama. Dama, and we are here to talk about all things that make smart, geeky stuff actually smart and mostly geeky. Um, and today we are going to talk about uh, a personal uh, hero of mine, uh, a woman by the name of Gail Ann Hurd, who is a producer of majorly geeky materials that uh, if you call yourself a geek, particularly you grew up in the 80s, you, you owe this woman a, a great debt of gratitude um, for helping to shepherd through some of uh, literally what most people would call a couple of the greatest American film directors to come out of that time period, if not ever. Um, mm-hmm. We'll talk more about her as we go on and maybe even delve into a little bit about what a producer does as Dom and I have been on that end on a much smaller scale than Miss Heard. But first, as usual, we have our segment that we call What's Elevating Our Genre, where we turn you on to what we think is geeky and cool out in the geek world. Uh, ah, damn, I'm terrible at this. I never know who went first last time. Who goes? Who, who went first last time, Dom? Do you remember? Nor do our listeners, probably. <laughs> no, I do our listeners. That's fine. Okay, so you go first. I'm punting. I give it to you. Okay. Uh yeah, that's kind of like you get to defer um, the as in football. Um, this week I was revisiting the films of uh, Ryan Johnson or Rian Johnson. Gosh, another word I've seen printed, and I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name, but he's the guy who's directing the next Star Wars movie. So it came out, you know, the the trailer came out, and I'm particularly excited about this because I love this guy's films. Um, his first big film, Brick, was a particularly wonderful case of genre mashing up. In this case, the genres of detective, detective noir and high school romance drama. And um, with a beautiful script and uh, uh, lovely camera work. And, um, and sort his, of didn't uh, really transition Joseph Gordon-Levitt to being a film star, but it's certainly... Yeah, I was trying to track that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. he was he was he was definitely the guy in that one. He was definitely great in that. He was he was convincing as kind of like rough and tough yet totally teenage hero. Totally, It's a real it's a real balancing act that movie strikes. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and then you know as a the Brothers Bloom is also very impressive and a few you know problems with Looper, but it's still a pretty cool movie. And um, anyway, this this all just to say that um, I just looking back on uh, all his work so far. He also directed a bunch of episodes of Breaking Bad. He has a great filmic sensibility that uh, that I'm really excited to see applied to the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I just uh, have a good feeling about that one. As opposed to all the characters in the Star Wars who have a bad feeling about everything. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, like, uh, somehow Star Wars gets me excited every damn time. And this time I'm, I don't know, I'm, uh, I don't even know idea how to put it, except I'm legitimately excited this time. Like, I guess just because, like, I actually have faith in this director. Like, I know a lot of people love J.J. Abrams, but I had zero faith that he was going to deliver a property that I was going to be totally in love with, which is turns out to be somewhat not true, but still, 
I didn't have any faith Gareth Edwards was going to do much in, in Rogue One and blah, blah, blah. So, however, Rian Johnson, like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm behind 100,000% as a creator. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do in this world. Yeah. I just have a feeling it's going to come out something very composed and crafted. Mm-hmm. God forbid, like Empire Strikes Back was more <laughs> sort of was like every detail was thought about in that movie. Right, right. As opposed to, you know, not all the Star Wars movies, some of the details aren't too well thought out. Anyway. <laughs> Sure. Uh, that was what I was tripping on this week. Got it. Got it. Good stuff. Um, <clears throat> I uh, have mentioned this before, uh, but I got lost in swimmy in the second season of Sense Eight uh, dropped on Netflix mm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, a couple of weeks ago now, maybe just yeah, I think it's like two weeks ago, and I just it's just so ridiculous how much that show hits all of my emotional spammy buttons um, hmm. in terms of just like chosen family and um, connection and like art matters in that show and diversity and like a certain amount of social justice and like just, and I keep, I keep waiting for them to make like a major, a major misstep. Um, and it just hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm also big on sensuality Mm. stuff and the way they're approaching the sensuality in the show is bordered a little on soft Corey, uh, this season for me in a couple of scenes, but in general, at least they're interested in exploring the concept Mm. of sensuality through visual image and, and, and people just enjoying their bodies, which is, it's super sex and, and physical positive, which is a big deal for me. Um, so just to be clear, you are into sensuality up to the point of softcore. There's some softcore I, line I, that you look just... <laughs> for some reason. Like I don't mind some softcore. It turns it back negative for yeah, you. Yeah, well, it just I I want my softcore to be labeled softcore, right? Like if I want to go see, I want to go see some Skinamax. I want it. I want to know I'm I'm in for some Skinamax. That's what it is, okay. right? But in my sensate in this thing, it's it got a little. Um, for lack of a better term, people, please forgive me, boob jiggly. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Titillating. Titillating, I get. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. It's yeah. funny. It is. That is, a, it's a, that is a real interesting conversation to have is like what, when does it go from sort of like a, a nice sex scene, a well-shot sex scene into like, yeah, like clearly just being titillating to be titillating, right? Like to like where it loses a little bit of substance. I don't know why or whatever. Or maybe I'm just a fucking mm-hmm. prude on one level. I don't know. But yeah. Maybe that's a we should we could take up the whole topic of titillation and it's uh, yeah that's true good and bad purposes uh, usages and that's it that's a, that'd be a good that'd podcast. be a good to- that'd be a good that'd be a good topic at some point so sensei they crossed right. the line a couple episodes for me into that but whatever but overall it's just um yeah i'm fucking into it and uh a little casting spoilers for sense eight so if you don't want to know you know skip ahead 30 seconds fucking sylvester mccoy uh doesn't matter to you who is the seventh doctor is a character in the show, so that's awesome. Um, that made me extremely happy as well. Uh, he's a new character that got introduced this season. Um, also, it happens this season, there was an actress that I personally auditioned for my movie. Um, uh, which was cool to see her on screen because I really liked her work. Um, I should plug her, but I don't know her full name. I know her first name is Sarah, and I can't remember her last name. She's the lady that shows up in the yellow toga and the and the shaved head if you watch the season, uh, and she's fantastic. I wish I, I just... Somebody else was a little bit better for us, um, but uh, she was really good. So, uh, but overall, the season is 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 really enjoyable. It's 
again, you know, third seasons are hard for this stuff, and mm. there's so many characters, and they're pointing in a couple of directions that I'm like, be careful, please don't ruin this. Um, but mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's just, goddamn, do I enjoy the shit out of it? Like, I just, I just, I just love it. I love that damn show. It's it's good stuff. Um, so anyway, let sensei. yourself enjoy it, Chris. Maybe they'll they'll just fully cancel it before it. Right. Turn, turns bad, which you be concerned about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to turn bad. It doesn't have to turn bad. I mean, you know, there's always, there's questionable things. The Skinamax stuff, for some <laughs> reason, the Korean woman, I mean, is like pulling some Ripley shit, like meaning not in the good Ripley, like in the sense that Ripley just has to appear in her underwear randomly in a couple of scenes. Like, mm. it's just like every other scene, are, are the Korean character, lady character has to like be in, in her underwear. I don't know why. Um, that's a little weird, um, and bizarre, but anyway, uh, cool, Sensei, season two, check it out. Okay, so, on to our main topic. So, as usual, start with a little bit of history. This woman's name is Gail Ann Hurd, folks. Just a couple of movies to throw out here, maybe you've heard of them. Aliens, Terminator, The Abyss, The Walking Dead, Hulk, The Incredible Hulk, um, both Punisher movies, like not only Tremors, Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, and only Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. Yes, right, exactly. Tremors, two of those oh, things, and freaking Tremors, man. Come on, if there's not a movie on that list, you call yourself a geek, particularly a sci-fi geek, and you don't love, like I mean, love, like is one of those movies is not one of your like go-to jams that when you were 15 or 13. I, I don't know where you came from. Like maybe you're a millennial and you haven't gotten to that stuff yet. Then fine, I understand that. But goddamn, and this woman is essential in making all of uh, in a lot of these things and these in these pro- making a lot of these properties happen. Yeah. and anyone who hasn't heard of one of those movies, by the way, should have been um, grabbed up by The Walking Dead. I mean, like, probably a, I would like, assume probably that she that claimed everyone who hadn't seen one of her films yes. at this point. There you go. Right? I'm guessing. Yeah, and so this is uh, real quick a little bit of history on her. She's like a lot of people started under our boy Roger Corman, which I did not know, um, mm-hmm. which is where she eventually met her first uh, husband, Mr. James Cameron, who was, who was painting models for Corman's Battle Beyond the Planets, a movie that we've mentioned on this podcast, or at least I have. So uh, rad. So rad. And that's where James Cameron and her met and uh, literally hooked Battle up. Beyond the Stars, wasn't it? Battle Doesn't, Beyond the Stars or the Planet. I, I think you're conflating it with Battle of the Planets, which yes, is another right, topic. Which is but... not the same thing. Right, whichever one, sorry. Whichever <laughs> one is Roger Corman's Seven Samurai remake, and I can never remember if it's Battle Beyond the Stars or Battle Beyond the Planets, forgive me. Um, um, but it, point taken. <laughs> point taken. And again, fucking George Cool Clark. job making models yes. there you go. for cool. Roger Corman. There you go. And while uh, Gail Ann Hurd, and a lot of people, obviously we all know that Corman has a history of, of exploitation films, and as Gail Ann Hurd herself says, He's an equal opportunity exploiter. However, Corman's head of his company was a woman, was his wife. And his wife uh, sort of mentored Gail Ann Hurd's early career. And Corman was the first person. Gail Ann Hurd, through her own lips, honestly thought that her career path was like, you know, chief executive assistant. But when Corman mm. took her on, his first thing to her was, what's your career path going to be, right? And so she piped up producer, and he was like, let's do it. And he brought her along right and 
for whatever you want to say about Corman's work, particularly in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, the exploitation or whatever, if you worked hard for that dude, that dude did not care if you were black, white, woman, dude, slug, um, you probably could have been a, um, a werebear and he would have employed your ass if you got the <laughs> job done. Um, so there you go. That's where she gets started. And of course, uh, for those that maybe don't know, Corman is known for exploitation films and B-level films. However, the motherfucker gets it done, right? And he produces and he releases fil- he released films and trained up a literal plethora of major Hollywood people, including little names like Ron Howard, for God's sakes, right? Um, yeah. And I believe I Dom, think when you say explo- not- exploitation films, you should context a little bit, meaning in the sure. context of films, like just a, a, a really genre, really... Um, What's the word? Like trashy novel kind of sensibility. Titillating, right? Titillating. I mean, yeah, it's titillating. Not, it's yeah, titillating. Not, I mean, you know, overuse that word. But yeah. also not to give the sense that, like, you know, in the modern way of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, of course. Literally exploiting some, like, oh, yes. <laughs> violent no. thing that's happening. Ah, uh, so that, yes. no, that, no, that, no. that wasn't what people were doing. Sorry, there is um, literally a, what <clears throat> some people would call a genre of film called exploitation. Um, go for it. Go check that stuff out. Some of it's interesting. I, I can't watch too much of it. Um, but it is a whole, it's, you know, and it is, let's be honest, that's where independent film got its hold and it was, and it's always been around. It's been around since the twenties and thirties, right? Um, quote unquote exploitation cinema and indie stuff, right? So it's about getting it done. Now you have a personal connection to Corman. Do you not? Am I crazy? Um, I can't remember where that would have come up and I can't think of it. So. Am Maybe I wrong? you're thinking of your your other friend who's really connected. To, I I don't know. Who is that? What, I does can't Jen have? Was... Did Jen work through? Did Jen come up through Corman? I, Jen, I'm talking about Jen Pang. The, the not, Jen Pang. Not that I remember. Oh, I'm. I'm, I'm okay. going to struggle to remember what what this is. So no. Oh well, doesn't matter. I made a mistake. I I, I just like the guy. I like the guy too. He's a good dude. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, he's you know he's he is what he is. He's a fucking yeah. He does what he does, and he's he's trust me, he's. The source of a lot of your joy, again, if you're a geek and in the film in the film world, and if you like canon films, that stuff, half of those creators wouldn't exist without Corman, and and they were inspired by him and pulled a bunch of his ability, a bunch of his stuff. Like I said, James gave James Cameron his start. Blah blah blah. Anyway, Galen Hurd and James Cameron meet there, and uh, Roger Corman's wife is absolutely essential in getting Terminator made. Um, she goes to. Uh, the completion bond people to let to say that yes, Galen Hurd is a legit producer, um, that she's worked for him for them. Uh, and when Terminator goes to uh, Orion Pictures, right, uh, she goes to bat for Galen Hurd as being the producer. You know, it's a great little story of um, you know uh, a lady in a position of power helping another lady come up. Um, yeah. and uh, it's it's fabulous. So yes, you would not have the term, ladies and gentlemen. You would not have the Terminator if, if not for Roger Corman's little company, um, mm-hmm. and Gail Ann Hurd, of course. Uh, so a uh, little bit more of a background on her, just so we can contextualize her. She graduated from Stanford at the top of her class in economics. Uh, she's a super smart lady as well, um, and but she got her start in the business, you know, on that end of things. Um, and just for giggles, if you want super geek cred, I mean, in two thousand three, she was awarded the Telluride Tech. Festival Award for Technology at Telluride, Colorado, along with 
Arthur C. Clarke, like Sir Arthur C. Clarke and Galen. I saw that. I didn't see the Arthur C. Clarke thing. (laughs) Yeah, we shared the stage together. So you want, there's no bigger geek cred than standing up. That, and if you're a horror fan, ladies and gentlemen, a little company called Fangoria gave her a Lifetime Achievement Award this year. So Mm -hmm. um, the peeps, you know, throw down and recognize this woman's work, which is great. Oh, and I just remembered uh, the the CEO of Corman's company at the time was a woman named Barbara Boyle. Um, Oh, okay. Was her that was her name, so, um and uh yeah, she's principally a producer. We should talk a little yes. bit about that. I okay. mean, because yeah, producer is a big catch-all film uh, term in film, right. and it uh, can mean you know, just like you contributed money to the thing and right. are uh, you know, uh, stand at a distance. Right. Or it can mean you know, that you're really on the ground making the film every day and making sure it happens. And um, as far as I understand it, in the Terminator process, which was like a much more lo-fi process than the blockbusters we're used to right now, um, she was with the day today just making the film happen and, um, at the shoots. And this is probably yeah, she was know, on, budgeting, she was, feeding people figuring out how we're going to get this truck to roll over into that car. Right. And, you um, know, and she's, she's credited as a co-writer also on that particular, on that particular project, which a lot of people. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Forgot so uh, she doesn't have a lot of, a lot of writing credits, but that, ha- that is one of them. Um, so uh, that's super important um, to note. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. And she's, she's always been a bit of a, she's always a bit of a hands-on hands-on producer. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's talk about, the, the word producer for a second. So number one, producer is getting le- it more and more defined as we go on simply because there is now something called the PGA, the Producers Guild of America. This is going to get a little pedantic people, um, but we'll, 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 it's for a good re- – I think it's for a good cause. <laughs> um, so the Producers Guild of America is like um, the Directors Guild or the Actors Union or whatever. Um, it's a it's a union. I'm put using air quotes for around that because producers don't really need a union, but it's a it's a it's an organization, and the whole this re- is a union. They, and and no one can see your air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm saying the air quotes. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, um, and the whole reason the PGA exists is because producer is such an undefined word, particularly in Hollywood, and because and I'm super guilty of this. I don't know if you are, Dom. We hand out that fucking title like candy to anyone who wants to give us money uh, because for people who don't usually invest in film, it's it's got some shiny to it. So you're like, somebody wants to give me the 3000 grand for my shitty little film? You're a co-producer. Whap, right? You just slap yeah. it. They get excited because they can go to IMDb. Their name is in there. And what ended up happening, it's not like, first of all, number one, that, not like that's, nothing, that's anything new. But where it got really complicated was... The stupid Academy um, Academy Awards have, and most people don't quite don't quite grok this. The people who get the Academy Award for Best Picture isn't the director; it's the producers of the film, hmm. right? There's a category called Best Director, okay. and that goes to the director. So, what happened? I believe now it's what is it? About six, seven years ago now. Uh, basically, the producer lists got so ridiculous because these budgets got so big, and there was so much crossover between companies and producers and people who found money and brought money and they were so many producers on these films uh basically the the big powerful producers in hollywood decided to sort of close the door on that and really define what a producer was 
a, what, who could get a producer credit, an executive producer credit, a co-producer credit, um, an assistant producer credit, anything with the word producer in it, they decided to start codifying so that when people walked up onto that stage, only these people, the main producers from the PGA, would get the stupid golden statue. From mm. my understanding, this is exactly where the whole PGA thing comes from um, and why it exists. It exists in an attempt to codify the, the, the term producer. Um, are you not aware of that? Did you? That's not. That- I, that that's kind of a new take to me. I'm not familiar with all that. I, that concept makes sense to me. I mean, it's also you know it is a service organization for you know working producers on all on all levels. It's a like that's that's more my experience of it. I mean, but I, I, but yeah, I, it's 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 not a catch-all for all the associate producers. No. The ones you're talking no. about. It just sort of. Uh, Tangentially credited, which is a part of the filmmaking thing. You bring people in, and you know they right. contribute money, or they loan their car, or something, and they should be credited, right, <laughs> for their contribution. Um, but yes, but there's this person uh, who is a producer who's not not to be confused with the way of producers in music. And music right. uh, producer is sort of the director um, capacity. Um, the produ- producer just makes sure that you can actually shoot every day you can actually right. shoot the film you know, with making with gear locations people fed people etc and um and and ends up um creating i don't know how do you say this well it ends up influencing the texture of the film uh, always absolutely um and there are produ- and i mean number one you can always just say producers are the I mean, everybody's always solving problems on a film set, but the producer is the end of the road. Problem gets too difficult to solve, whether that's too large or too intractable or because of personalities or because of whatever. They are the person that's supposed to step in and, and, and make that decision and make that, that those tough calls and keep everything moving forward, right? Yeah, the big problem solver. The big problem. As opposed to the director who is this big problem creator because <laughs> just a dude like saying, Oh, let's get a, you know, you know, exploding helicopter in here and the producer goes, Okay. Gotta find exploding helicopter Copter. by tomorrow. By, Some, tomorrow. You know. by tomorrow for, for less than five thousand dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Thanks, director, dude. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Um, you know, and that relationship between director and producer is is pre- is pretty goddamn key. Um uh, I can certainly tell you that uh, anyone I've ever brought on any kind of project that I've had that I called a producer, um, and there's really only been two people. Well, no, that's not true. That's three now. Um, you know, that relationship gets very personal and very close very fast, mm. right? Because there's nothing – it's it's weirdly parental, and it's weirdly sibling, and it's weirdly coworker, and it's weirdly mm-hmm. – you're just entangled in this in this person's life. If I'm talking about a main producer, obviously uh, the producer that you're definitely dealing with, right? Because as a director or as a creative, you're going to them and you're trying to spend the money, and the producers has at least the purse strings uh, of the money. Um, so it can get sensitive really fast, um, and you want a good relationship with it. And again, it depends on how your producer produces. Are they a hands-on producer? Do they want to? Do they want to be in on every single decision? Do they want to not be in on every single decision? Do they want to be on set? Do they not want to be on set? Um, are they are they going to be close to the cast or not? Do they want to be involved in casting or not be involved in casting? Are they going to insist on casting? <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Just and it's and it can be a beautiful relationship. A hundred percent. And in 
uh, Gail Ann Turd's case, she ended up married to James Cameron at some point, right? So that's <laughs> not only James Cameron, but also Brian De Palma. Yes, she was married to both oh, okay. of those guys at some point. Yep, <clears throat> so one relationship sort of begets another kind of relationship. That's also a big thing. Perhaps you can comment on that or become these sort of no doubt my wife is director my producer, producer my... <laughs> uh, power cup uh, power units. Yeah, my wife is uh, my wife is uh, definitely my producer on my on my uh, on my feature film. I produced her first short film. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, I that's great. I mean, I I like that kind of a relationship. I understand that not everybody wants to be married to the person they're producing with, and you definitely it's it's tense when you're in production and there's nothing else to talk about but the damn shoot, right? So mm. that can get intense, but it can also sort of narrow the focus of the relationship down, right, a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is kind of great um, and kind of nice, but um, yeah. So yeah, those so producing is just as much of an art form and just as much as much collaboration as anything is in filmmaking, and people can tend to forget that. And the idea that you you also can't remember Gail, you don't want to forget that Gail Ann Hurd is like one of the original ladies after the. After the 30s, because remember when film started, ladies and gentlemen, women were all over the business. They were writers, they were producers, they were directors, they ran studios all the way up until the 30s and the 40s when they got pushed out. Um, when all the businessmen flooded into the business, they got pushed out. So come the 70s um, and you know the sort of second sexual revolution ha- starts happening and women start coming into the business, and but they still weren't coming in at – this level at the level that Gail Ann Hurd wants to wanted to operate on, um, and she is a bit of a trailblazer. She's got some people in front of her, like I said. Um, Barbara Boyle is one. Another name we should mention is a woman by the name of Deborah Hill, um, who's vastly important. Again, if you are a geek, she produced Halloween, Escape from New York, The Fisher King, uh, The Fisher King. If you're a fan of that, so that you know she's operating in that world, and she was able and Deborah Hill. Uh, was able to mentor um, Gail Ann Hurd a little bit uh, as well, according to uh, according to Miss Hurd, um, and doubly so. She, not only is Gail Ann Hurd producing, period, and becoming a very high power producer in Hollywood, she's not producing quote unquote chick flick movies, right? She's not producing romantic comedies, right? She's operating in the geek world, right? She's Terminator, Aliens, Abyss. Uh, with Brian De Palma in his sort of mid-career with Raising Cain and and um, uh, Lead the Devil's Advocate and some other stuff, right? So mm. she's facing down a lot of boys' rooms, right? She's facing down a lot of old men's clubs here, um, and and succeeding, succeeding very very well. You know, as she likes to say, she doesn't mind being called a bitch because a guy would never be called that. It doesn't matter. So she just acts like everybody yeah. else around her, and she gets to have, she gets to carry that moniker. And bears mentioning uh, is uh, responsible for Terminator and Aliens, uh, which have two of the uh, strongest female protagonists of the of the period. Yeah, it's probably not a coincidence. Yeah, probably not an accident. And also, um, after James Cameron divorces her, yeah, where does it? Where does where do? Hmm. And including the Abyss, by the way, which has got yes, technically. Um, uh, oh yes, bald also, dude Ed yeah. Harris Andy is technically Biz. sort of the lead, but not really. And um, not Andy McDowell. Um, is that Elizabeth Stewart? Mary Antonio? Elizabeth Master Antonio. Yes. 
um, is is a damn. Is but damn let's just let be less people know about the abyss. That's why they didn't sure. Play. No, no, no. I'm just I'm just throwing it in there. I'm just saying this is a fucking great. Well, movie. you can see when James Cameron separates from her, all of a sudden, you know, you get Titanic <clears> and you get and you get Avatar, and the ladies are less are less important. So I don't know. Uh, to me, that that may be something. I think there is something to say about that. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, as we like. You know, as we discussed in our uh, Sigourney Weaver episode, which is one of my favorites of ours, um, it's it's kind of a nice setup. Like the, uh, like for in the case of aliens, you know, in space, you know, no one can hear you scream. They also the, don't really care what gender you are because the yeah. alien is very nicely non-discriminatory and just killing <laughs> any human that comes their way. Yeah. And by the way, they, aliens also have a matriarchal culture, by the way. <laughs> right. I, I, don't, I don't think it goes that deep. But the point is, it's a good template with, if you can insert a, uh, a protagonist, um, in this case, a, a woman, uh, Ripley or Sarah Connor, against the Terminator or aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of... Uh, just a, a threat that's just not picky about <laughs> right doesn't really fit into the gender role problem right. they just kill humans right Interesting. <laughs> good point good point i think there's something to that um i, I do realize we missed a, a rather big one from the list which is obviously terminator 2 as well by the way she was intimately involved in terminator 2 um yeah <clears throat> where sarah connor really gets serious yeah absolutely right. and while james you can't underestimate you know, again, whatever you think about James Cameron, uh, you know, we can't underestimate his ability to push the medium forward in terms of technology, which means that he's doing that. Gail Ann Hurd is responsible for making that shit work, right, on a mm-hmm. producerial level. And I cannot stress how difficult that must have been, right? This idea that you're working with a visionary, which is always great, and she, he's going to get all the glory as the visionary director. But to take new technology... Oh make it work, negotiate at the highest levels with ILM to create their very first, the Abyss was the very first 3D animated CGI thing ever that ILM ever put on screen. Yeah, right? that was a big deal. It's a huge deal. And to and to be the producer in that situation. <laughs> to make a water tentacle. <laughs> a water tentacle, that's right, a water snake. I huge deal. Huge deal. And to be the person that led that team that made that happen. Uh, again, from a, a, a thirty thousand foot level, I mean that is that is that's an amazing accomplishment. And then T two hits with all of its technical achievements and its technical pushing forward. It's I, I don't know. Maybe people. I'm sure some people understand this. It's like it's easy to walk into a room and say, "I want to make this happen," right? Mm-hmm. And walk out. And you can be the genius that envisions it and maybe even points people in a direction. But once that person has to go back and start, then and James Cameron goes and starts drawing storyboards for this shit, it's Gail Ann Hurd who's sitting in the room with ILM going, all right, gentlemen, how do we make this happen? And for this budget, right? And, for, and on this timeline, and we have to be on this timeline. And yeah. again, you know, I just find that, uh, particularly for her to be a woman at that time, to lead that kind of charge is is just is is remarkable. I think it's. I don't think you can underestimate the uh, the achievement that that is. Uh, and and yeah. yeah, and that's just. And would be remarkable for any producer or human because true. those true. are two again very well composed movies. They're all the moving parts are like <laughs> thought of and they actually move together. <laughs> right. to, you know, 
where the uh, modern movies have, might have 80 producers and 80 different plot lines. But right. Terminator, you know, just a great, uh, great through line in that one. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, uh, and again, that's the other thing with, uh, with being a producer, choosing which projects that you work on and having an eye for that. I mean, again, who the fuck would, people don't remember, maybe if you haven't seen Tremors, ladies and gentlemen, it's a goddamn <laughs> movie about enormous sandworms underneath the desert that is a, a horror comedy starring Kevin Bacon and Fred goddamn that is, Ward. Yeah, that is not Dune. That <laughs> is not Dune, yes. It's sandworms that aren't Dune, right? Um, and it was a major, not a major, major release, but it was a decent-sized film, right? Um, on the back of the Stan Winston company, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and to get, at a time when horror comedy was not, a thing really right i mean evil dead 2 was was kicking around but horror comedy did not have the traction that it has today by any stretch of the imagination so and it's about fucking sandworms i'm sorry giant fucking sandworms it's crazy pants right that come up from the floor and eat you um it's just it's it's a barrel of fun but for her to be able to see that on the page and have the vision and then also have the the clout at the time to push that through in a in a major studio um, I believe it's a Universal film, so there's a you got a little leeway there. Universal takes those kind of weird mon- likes monster movies, so that helps. But even still, like it's crazy <laughs> pants. Like to get that movie made in '87 or '88 or maybe even it's '89, maybe it's even that late. Um, it's pretty great. Um, so I think it's also interesting to point out her. I'd say possibly probably worked on four of the most reviled uh marvel films of all time <laughs> possibly what are you, are you are you how how many times are you counting hulk twice well because there's hulk there's ang lee's hulk she worked on ang lee's hulk and she worked on the 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 edward norton incredible hulk as well which i guess is better received than hulk but is not i hear no one even discuss the incredible hulk as a movie in the marvel mcu technically and then the two goddamn punisher movies which definitely no one talks about that just didn't happen okay Right, like, uh, yeah. Well, uh, well. First, first about the producer level. I mean, just at that point, she, she is so big league. She probably mm-hmm. gets to just you know <clears throat> be involved in any capacity she wants. So we don't. I I don't know at what level uh, she was into Hulk. Um, but I don't know. I think that the Hulk, like the Hulk himself, are uh, misunderstood films. I'm not saying they're good. Yeah. I'm just saying they're. <laughs> they, I'm just saying lot, they're misunderstood. A lot, yeah, just like the Hulk is not necessarily good, but he is mis- misunderstood. Okay, what do you feel is misunderstood about those two films? Or and um, well, they were they were trying for something. The the yeah, the Ang Lee film was definitely one for the, a a bold comic book style and um, the weird overwrought father drama and they hadn't really locked in the Marvel formula which has become so formulaic at this point at this point so basically we're trying to do something um, for sure for sure and, and you gotta respect that and the movie I itself do. just ends up being rather boring yes <laughs> and the Incredible Hulk more more in formula and yeah, they're starting just because I, I love Ed Norton I can ah. I can go with uh, basically anything he's doing um but as far as um, yeah, 
And then there's and the, another, Punisher, the two Punisher flicks. Don't well, yeah, which I have nothing to say about. Like, yeah. Because I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. But, I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, this is the, if you want to know Galen, it's, it's another example of where Galen Heard fits in the firmament, right? Which is Marvel Studios is starting to take off. And what producer do they tap, right? And they tap Galen Heard to try mm-hmm. to get these things up and off the ground. Um, and that, that, I think that speaks – I think that speaks volumes. Um, and especially – when you have people are forgetting Ang Lee was coming off of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon right before he directed the Hulk. And so he was coming off of a very big um, uh, American run. Um, and, you know, and so they Marvel teamed Ang Lee and Galen Heard together, uh, which is which totally makes sense because Ang Lee is a is a powerhouse of a director. Galen Heard has worked with. Not just powerhouses, but troublesome directors like you know Brian De Palma is notorious. As so is so is James Cameron. So um, Ang Lee and hers, you know, it's like you know she's going to bring the movie in, you know, um, and uh, she did and again, I, whatever. <laughs> I would so love to know Gail Anders' opinion on the Hulk, or just just to hear her say a sentence regarding the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> just curious what her thought, you know, with the benefit of time, what uh, what her perspective was. Well, there is, there, so there is a, we, we are treading in some footsteps here, which I didn't realize until a couple days ago. There is a Nerdist interview with her that's an hour and a half, if you guys are interested in, in listening to her talk herself about her career, which is pretty great. Um, and the mm-hmm. only thing I remember from listening to that when I listened to it was, uh, you know, she just mentioned that Ang Lee was a genius and, um, and you know, whatever, that he was brilliant. I don't know if she mentions anything else about Hulk. It would be interesting to it would be, it would be interesting to uh, to know about that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and because uh, with those Hulk movies, it's just like one more thing could be smashed and everything would be all right. And I just wonder <laughs> what she had, if, if she had a concept of what what needed smashing. Um, anyway, but uh, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. Sure. Yes. So, and another another indiscriminate monster movie. <laughs> Hulk Hulk smashes things equally. Yes, it's like the monsters in Tremor. That's true. Tremors eat people equally. That's a good point. That's interesting. Yeah, she seemed does seem to be you know yeah <laughs> attracted that's, to stories about monsters of indiscriminate destruction. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So let's talk about her transition right. a little bit to uh, to TV because she doesn't have many TV credits. But when the hell when she jumped in, holy shit. Um, so she brings on Frank Darabont to, um, to adapt Robert Kirkman's Walking Dead. And mm. I didn't realize this. I thought AMC developed this project, and they did not, it turns out. Um, I, mm. uh, and this is just a misconception I was under. I'm not obviously clearing up anything that anybody mm. else was under. But um, they worked together, those three, Kirkman, Hurd, and Darabont, to – put together The Walking Dead, and she went apparently everywhere uh, to pitch it, and everyone turned it down. Um, mm. And we do tend to forget this. AMC was, you know, this was eight years ago, almost seven years, seven, eight years ago now. AMC wasn't quite the thing it what it is now. I can't even remember what the big well, show would have been at the time. What was happening? On they it? were still going with Mad Men, and they were having oh, was Mad Men a bunch that's of strong right. shows. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay, they so had a bunch of strong shows, and it was it was almost uh, a question like, well, what what are they going to do next to get us uh, hooked? And it did it did come as an unusual idea that it would be The Walking Dead, but it sure was Walking Dead. <laughs> You are totally right. and I totally forgot the whole Mad Men angle. Started, 
Well, it actually started stealing thunder from all of their other shows of no, yeah. you know normal humans in suits. It was it was it was a turnaround, right? And yet it just it, it kept going well as far as AMC is concerned. Concerned, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so. Um, so AMC, uh, you know, when they brought it to AM, you know, again, this is another thing a producer has to do, which some people don't know, which is to be a champion for a project in its early stages and to be a champion of talent. Right? We've talked about you know obviously recognizing talent, but to be a champion of a project and, you know, and this is Gail Ann Hurd. She's, it's her first TV show. You would think ABC, CBS, anybody would be like HBO. Fuck yes. Sure. You can do it. But because, you know, it's the walking dead, it's, I'm sure it was grim. And, and again, for some reason, no one had done a zombie TV show yet. It was even with Gail Ann Hurd on board as a producer, it was, it was, it was a field too far for a lot of people, but she knew, um, that her and Darabont and Kirkman had something here and she stayed behind the project and threw her weight behind the project as much as she could until they found a proper home for it. Um, and that is another, just a whole nother level of stick that you, uh, that you want to emulate ladies and gentlemen, like, I don't care what your job is. I don't care if you're an artist, I don't care what you are, but if you buy into something and you put your heart and your soul into it you gotta freaking just keep pushing um and and most important find the right partner right find the right partner for your work um Mm. and i think no matter what producer you are that's always part of your job whether again it's like finding the right distributor or finding the right you know helping assemble the right crew for the project um right i think it's because yeah there was something about the walking dead right the to achieve its proper form it had to have you know a little too much violence for the standard mm-hmm. networks, probably. Mm-hmm. But it needed to have a, you know, a, a, a diverse cast which would uh, engage the various diverse audiences that have watched cable as opposed to theatrical. I mean, there are a lot of concerns there, and they found sort of exactly the right <laughs> formula. I'll just say that word. <laughs> Yeah, um, no, I mean, and that's something that Galen Hurd has talked about, right? She was, she was, she was insistent on the diversity of the cast, um, which is good, um, and she's also very insistent on casting. Apparently, I didn't, re- I didn't know this either that they were like two weeks away from full on pre production for the for the for the TV show to start, and they hadn't cast Andrew Lincoln the lead yet. Um, they formed the cast around Shane, actually. Uh, what's his bucket? Speaking of the Punisher, who's playing the Punisher now? Funnily enough. Um, I cannot remember that actor's name right now. Sorry. Um, the but, guy who you kind of look like right now. Do I kind of look like him right now? That's that's uh, John Barenthal. Is that his name? <laughs> Shut up. I, I don't know. I don't want to look like that guy. Do I look like that guy? All right, fine. I don't know. Now people in podcast in, land, in, a, in, a, in a gruff and tough kind of way. Oh, stop it. I am. I am soft and squishy. Um, um, anyway. Um, no one can see you, dude. Chris Woodrow uh, is wearing a muscle shirt. He looks very much like one of the, you know, colonial Marines and aliens. And uh, he's got the cool new haircut and mm-hmm. very, very costume appropriate for this uh, for this discussion. Anyway, moving on. So, uh, yeah, I look nothing like John Barenthal, but um, no. <laughs> uh, it would be nice if, if I did. Um, uh, good looking dude, I guess. I don't know. Actually, I don't find him attractive. That doesn't matter. Okay. Anyway, uh, Morrison is completely flummoxed. Um, So she, so Gail and her transitions to The Walking Dead, right? And again, what's interesting here is, and she credits this as well, right? That she would be nowhere near ready for the workload that is 
The Walking Dead. Again, they shoot The Walking Dead on they they shoot on 16 millimeter, which whatever I don't know I don't give a, mm-hmm. I don't give a crap about that. But they shoot on 16 millimeter millimeter, and they I shoot an ep- at all on TV anymore, but okay. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and they shoot an episode in eight days, which is totally standard for an hour's worth of television. And they shoot 13 episodes, so that means they're you know they're in production, pure real production minus pre-production and all of that you know basically for six or seven months of the out of the year that is a hell of a grind um and she credits herself with her early work at Roger Corman's uh you know grinded out exploitation cinema you know make the movie happen right no matter what you put your head down and you grind this thing out and you make it happen and she I don't you know and the Walking Dead, I don't think, would be what it would be if it didn't have her sensibility behind it, right? And her particular history, um, especially someone who is producing at that level in Hollywood, who then transitions to TV, right? Because TV is a whole another another yeah. beast um, when it comes to producing. So again, can't stress enough how how impressive it is for her to have have made that transition with the right property, with the right. Um, creative collaborators and then sustain this level of interest whether whatever you think about the show and we could do a whole show on the walking dead and maybe one day we will um uh she's sustained i still think it's the number one show on cable for the last seven seasons i think if i'm not mistaken that was my understanding yeah which is on on a fucking i mean granted yeah mad men was happening but on a you know a shitty like basic cable channel right um, you know, you're talking HBO can't unseat the, uh, you know, uh, Cinemax, Showtime, none of those guys can unseat this damn show. So, yeah, it did seem like it would, maybe could have been a HBO show, but anyway, now we'll never know. <laughs> but yeah, and freaking, they're in the woods a lot in that. Are, are they actually in Georgia? Or yeah, they're there, I don't know. They're, yeah, they shoot they're in, in the woods a lot, they and shoot, that's a hard shoot. <laughs> they shoot everything in Georgia. So yes, every actor in Georgia has now been a zombie and a bit, or been on that show, or both probably at this point. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's that. And, and I, I think we're getting that's clo- some good shit. That's some good shit. And I want to close with uh, our Galen Heard chatty chat with some more good shit from her, her last thoughts. And particularly, you know, we all move through this business, um, you know, even whether you're, in, whether you're in entertainment or you're an artist, and especially in the collaborative fields. And you, Dom and I have talked about a lot about it's important to, to find your creative tribe, right? To find the people you want to create with. Mm. And, uh, Gail Anaherd has her own version of that, which is just don't work with assholes, right? And um, and when apparently when they were assembling the team for Walking Dead, her and Kirkman and um, uh, the special effects guru who is the lead on that show, which I can't remember, KNB from KNB, it's uh, Greg Nicotero. Um, you know, oh. they they had a meeting where they sat around and they're like, I don't care, uh, we don't, we're not going to work with assholes no matter what. And she's even told a few stories about some pretty big actors wanting to get on the show, but their reputation was, no, they're assholes. And like, nope, mm. not going to happen. I'm not going to do it because it's just too hard. And I certainly appreciate that. Um, and I like to hear stories because there's too many stories uh, where we hear people about people misbehaving and behaving shittily and badly and still getting work. And I just appreciate the fact that Gail Ann Hurd stands up and in public says, nope, you got a rep for being a dick. You're not on my set, period. Mm. End of statement. Um, and that's just awesome. Um, mm. So, yeah. yeah. So 
Don't work with assholes. So no nobility in that, yes. Yeah, definitely. Don't work with assholes. Okay. Well, um, I guess we can close with a, a, uh, a few final thoughts. I know we didn't, you know, it's, it's just been sort of like a glowy, at least on my end, has been sort of a glowy uh, build-up fest about this woman and this woman's work. But uh, uh, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring the name out for people if they hadn't, if I hadn't heard the name. I think some true deep geeks already know, um, but maybe they didn't. You, maybe you hadn't heard a few stories. Just wanted to continue yeah. to put that name out there because she's just uh, she's just a, a force, and I certainly over a, a lot of yeah. hours of entertainment. So. It's a really impressive bunch of work. And I was just say one of the things about being producer is also because you aren't the director, you get to go and do a bunch of different things. You know what I mean? Like she gets, I mean, she does have her strong areas and they often involve genre and some sort of uh, monster or fantastical threat. But she got to work with um, different creators and, and, and big, uh, all the all these solid entertainments, you know, as opposed to you're the director. If you like, you get pigeonholed into a thing, and you got to just do that thing, and people are tracking, and you know, you, you can only do this kind of water movie. Mm. It's 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 kind of uh, it's kind of cool for a producer level that you could build a body of work that impressive, consistent, yes, and uh, also get to work with so many uh, different voices. Right on. Uh, yeah. No. And that's uh, and I think. For those of you out there in, the, in in podcast land that are that are trying to consider a career or are working in a career in this stuff, you know, producers, you know, they they get such a shit reputation, and and I think it's completely undeserved. I mean, there of course there are shitheads that are like, "Here's my money now, you have to cast my niece." That really honestly happens, people. I've been on a set where that kind of thing that kind of thing goes down. But that's not a. I, I just want. I wish those those people it's just, had. A it's just too broad name. a word. Yeah, it's exactly. I wish those other assholes had a name, like some kind of a you know money man. But that doesn't even work either. But yeah, that's not. Those are not the people we're talking about. If you want to be a producer, you are a collaborative problem solver of the highest order, and you are in the thick of it, man. And you are. You know, there's no doubt you're a supporting role, but you are the fucking support. You are the buttress if you are a, a good yeah. hands-on producer. You are the thing that – you're the tent pole, right? Fuck that, that term that's been claimed. Well, I don't hear it as much anymore <laughs> for movies, but it's really – if you're the main producer, you are the tent pole that everything else hangs off of. And it's a noble profession um, and because yeah. you eat so much garbage and you – have to put up with so much and keep your eyes eternally on the prize. And if you can do that and still keep your soul and still keep your artistic integrity, um, it's just, that's just, it's a hell of an accomplishment. And it's so, it's so needed. Um, as yeah. someone who calls themselves a producer, I, I always am like, I'm a writer, director, producer, um, because I have too much respect for real producers who really go out and get things done. I'm only a producer out of need, out of necessity, and I tend to only produce my own stuff or someone that I deeply, deeply care about um, uh, because it is that intimate, because it is, you know, you, you're taking on a lot when you say you're going to help produce something. Yeah. Especially if you've been a line producer. If you've been a line producer, oh, you've fuck. made a movie. It's like, I mean, some people don't even like taking that term anymore because it implies so much labor, but it's the conventional term for the person who's day to day and you and the, the line producer really has, has made a movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and we can unpack that term some other time, I think. But um, 
in terms yeah, of a line producer that has it that tends to have a, a specific term but yeah depends yes but yeah but um i was trying to i try to think of when he's delineating the the really effective uh producer um from uh, <laughs> all these other things but yes so yes it, well said thank you uh cool well um here we go. We're uh, coming to a close here on good old episode 29 uh, on Galen Hurd. Again, if you don't do some research or maybe just, you know, freaking pop in that fucking Terminator 2 VHS you got laying around and just like, uh, and just sit back and get, and, you know, soak in the glory of, of, of this woman's work. Please do. And as always, when we close out, we want to tell you guys what we're working on. Um, I'm still stuck in post production. Woohoo! Uh, and we'll be here for a while. Uh, and uh yeah i'm no. dipping my stupid toe back into the acting waters because it's just too easy out here in brussels there is jobs for native american <laughs> speakers so i have actually just landed two acting jobs for the first time and for fucking ever um i will be doing Did you just uh, say native american speakers sorry like uh, no wait, accidents sorry. Of no words. that's not what i meant <laughs> Native, awesome. a native English speaker. Shit, did I honestly just say a Native American speaker? No, no, no. There's uh, nothing wrong with it. It's just, no, it's just the way the words strung together. Yeah, no, that's um, bad news bears. And it could also <laughs> refer to like a very specialized, uh, <laughs> yeah. which I can't even. I can't handle French. Linguistic ability. But, uh, <laughs> I can't sorry. handle no, French. I can't even begin to handle Iroquois or something. Um, sorry. Anyway, yes. So I've been cast in a couple of uh, a couple of. Uh, short things that are that are i'm going to be part of an escape room um uh, uh video that will play great. in an escape room that, eh, whatever it's a that, gig that as great as it sounds <laughs> I, it, it might it's a day of shooting i don't care uh it'll happen and they'll pay me some money um and then i'm also uh i've been cast in a company that does called scenarios for summits which does these incredibly high end in terms of like uh monetary value in terms of production values incredibly high-end videos for different summits summit meetings out here in good old brussels so uh, uh i don't know i auditioned by talking about mad cow disease so there you go that kind of stuff um oh, meh cool. and i'll shoot in june and i'll shoot those in june and i'll you know i'll be an actor for a little what while your My God. i'll be an actor so there you go i'm starting to act and stuff again wacky sir what's going on with you well until such time as my bigger announcement which will probably be in a couple months i'm still just karaoke rhapsody.com my youtube channel karaoke rhapsody.com sorry to keep repeating it like an idiot but that's what i do we're doing a shoot for it this uh for this weekend so we'll have some um ah, cool. some new content coming out soon sweet so i'm excited to edit that together cool man. so yeah beautimus beautimus ladies and gentlemen we love you Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we, we, we really appreciate it. Um, if you like us, if you can, go ahead and leave us a review on the iTunes podcast thing. Um, uh, you can find us. We got a Facebook page, of course. Um, and you can find us on the old Stitcher. As usual, ladies and gentlemen, comment, like, subscribe. We have been mm-hmm. elevating the genre. I've been Christopher, and that's been... Dama. Dama. And we will see you next week where we're going to talk about... Up the apocalypse. Um, we're gonna talk about as a, as a storytelling no, no, concept, not the apocalypse. Not the apocalypse. All, all apocalypses. <laughs> <laughs> all the various apocalypses, and the some that are good. There's some that are bad. Yes.
We'll Speaking break. of all-encompassing terms, apocalypse really gets thrown out too many there times. You. But very true. There are many different variations on it throughout film. Yep, absolutely. So we're gonna have a fun time with the old apocalypse. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. See you soon. See you next week. Bye. Yeah. See ya. Bye. <laughs>